Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Everybody doing all right this morning? Yeah, there you go. It's all right. It's a 915 service. It takes a while to, you know, wake up. It's good to see you guys this morning. Hey, I want you to write a name down for me. Write down the name Jared Anderson. Write down the name Jared Anderson. The reason why I want you to write that name down, he is a friend of mine from back in Bible school days, back in my home church, back in Colorado. How many of you guys like that song, Great I Am, the last song that we sang? You guys like that song? Well, he wrote that song. And uh, he's, we're working on having him come March the 5th. I believe that's the, the weekend that he's going to be here. And so we're working on him coming in. But uh, he might be doing a couple of his songs, songs that he's written. And I, I want you guys, if you want to, look him up. Maybe download a couple of his songs. Familiarize yourself with his, his music. Because he's probably, there's a really strong possibility he's going to be joining us on March the 5th. You guys all right with that? It's going to be cool. He's, a, he's an awesome worship leader, good friend of ours. Uh, we'd love to have him come in. Everybody knows you got, um, you got a New Life Church sticker in your seat. Okay. Okay, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. With this sticker comes a tremendous amount of responsibility. Some of you are not ready for that responsibility. So if you have gotten more than four traffic tickets already in the calendar year of 2017. We'd like to welcome you to drop by the welcome center after the service and return your sticker. We'll give it to a family with multiple cars that have good driving records. Joking, not joking. Uh, Starting a new series this weekend called Overwhelmed. And in this series... We're going to be addressing a lot of the soul issues that all of us can face at different times in our lives. I find that because of the culture that we live in, there are times when we need to detox our souls. The Bible talks about us being really three different parts, spirit, soul, and body. And God wants us to be healthy in every one of those areas. In the wholeness of who we are, we deal with issues like fear and insecurity, confusion, just how to focus, uh, just issues of drama, apathy. God wants us to be healthy. So we're going to be addressing some of those issues. This morning, specifically, we're going to address your thoughts, your thoughts, not I feel like we need to apologize as pastors because looking back at the sermons that we've done over the years, there might have been three or four times in the entire history of our church that we actually addressed this issue specifically. How to deal with your thoughts. I believe this series is going to change some of your lives. And I believe this subject today is one of the most important subjects that you can have God's wisdom and understanding, his Holy Spirit to help you. This is actually one of my life messages of understanding the authority that you have over your thoughts through Jesus Christ. I find that most of us struggle 
in our thought life more than any other area of our lives. And our thoughts wind up overwhelming us. Why are we more overwhelmed now than we ever have been before? Well, the word says that in the last days that knowledge will increase. Because we have more access to more knowledge, because we have more access to the things that are happening around the world, our brain has more access to all the information, everything that is going on, and it's very difficult with all of those different inputs for our brain to categorize, compartmentalize, and eventually it just all becomes one jumbled up mess until it becomes overwhelming. If you go to a third world country, this is not the issue because they don't have the same access to technology and the internet and some of those things that we do. You go to a lot of third world countries around the world and they're incredibly laid back. And if missionaries ever come from Western civilization, they can't figure it out why everyone's so stressed out from the West. Like, they don't have watches. Their concept of time and what's really important is completely different than ours. They're, they're more focused on relationships. They're focused on just spending time. The sun's still going to rise and the sun's still going to set. And they don't really focus on all the unnecessary things. Back in the 1700s, things were pretty simple, right? Plow the fields, plant some corn, watch the corn grow. Every once in a while, I might have a visitor. Martha, get the kids. I think I see a buggy. Oh, this is so exciting. I just can't wait. Get up. I can't tell who it is. It's too far. Oh, never mind. It's your mother. <laughs> but now, in any given day, it feels like the whole world passes by us. You think about that? Because we, we're seeing what's happening in other nations. We're seeing what's happening in other states. And, and it all is just flying around us, and we become Overwhelmed. We can be overwhelmed by the world or we can be overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus Christ. The woman at the well, when Jesus encountered this woman, and she was broken. And she was getting water in the middle of the day, which is not when you get water because it's too hot. Nobody was trying to fetch water in the middle of the day. But the reason why she was is because she walked in a constant place of shame and guilt because she'd been married four times before and was currently living with someone that she wasn't married with. Not to mention that she was a part of a subculture of that time that was looked down upon about, from the rest of culture. So she feels like nothing. She feels horrible. And she is overwhelmed with all the thoughts and concerns of what everyone else was thinking, what everyone else was doing. And then she encountered Jesus and became overwhelmed with his grace. She went from a place of being overwhelmed in her sin to being overwhelmed in the goodness of God. You must be overwhelmed by something that is greater than what is overwhelming you. And there really is only one option, and that's Jesus. I know throughout my life, I've definitely struggled in my thoughts, specifically around the thoughts of insecurities. And some of you have heard some of my testimony, some of the things that I walked through as I grew up, and it's not necessarily any more severe or intense than some of your stories, but came from a broken home and dealt with a lot of 
learning disorders and issues with making friends. And because of those things, the, the enemy began to try to feed me lies early on. When I stepped into ministry, I remember there being times when there was someone important that I needed to go meet with. And I remembered I'd psych myself up like, okay, James, don't screw this up. Don't mess this up. Don't say something dumb. Just play it cool. Just play it cool. Don't say something dumb. Whatever you do, just don't say something dumb. Whatever you do, James, don't mess this up. Don't say something. You said something dumb, James. You, you, you see, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't have even met with the guy. You should have just told him that you were sick or that you had to postpone or whatever. You shouldn't have even met with him. I was so fixated on the thoughts of insecurity that it made me truly insecure. And I remember even when I came and I began to, to speak sermons for the first time. I never really spoke sermons before. I came over here to Cabot. I spoke on missions from time to time. So I remember speaking sermons. And this still happens to me every once in a while, but not, not as much as it used to. And, and I would get done and I would have the sermon going over and over again in my mind, thinking back to everything I said and whether I said everything just perfect or not. And I'm like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I, should, I could have said it better that way. Nobody's coming back next week. I just, I, I ruined the church. I'm horrible. I'm not even a good pastor. I'm the worst pastor this side of the Mississippi. And then I would quickly find myself in a place of PPD, post-preaching depression. It was, it was a deep hole. Usually it happens Sunday afternoons. I just discouraged. like, Cody, bring me a Jack and Coke. We don't have any Jack. And I'll have a Coke. <laughs> On the rocks, though. Just discouraged. Because my mind and my thoughts were not being overwhelmed by the right person. All of us have to be aware the power of our thoughts. It says in Proverbs 4.23, carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. The source of true life. When it comes to being overwhelmed, people are doing strange things to cope with being overwhelmed these days. I read about this one technique where when you're anxious and stressed out, worried about a lot of things, what they'll do is they'll, they'll pile towels on you, layers of towels on top of you, and then they will pour lighter fluid on the towels and then light it on fire. And then slowly but surely, they would just begin to take the towels that were on fire off until you weren't on fire anymore. And the point is, you're so consumed with being on fire you forget about everything else that you were worried about and consumed with. Aren't you glad that you were on fire? So you didn't have to worry about all that other stuff. There used to be a call line in Germany, like one of those 1-800 type numbers, where you could call and cuss someone out. You would pay to do this. 
But you would call and just, you could cuss this person out at $5 a minute. Cuss them out, $5, just let them, just let them have it. And it's in German, so it's way more intense than any other language. But people are doing all kinds of things to deal with coping, to help themselves. Screaming therapy, you just go and scream. Or you punch a pillow. Streaking. I could see how running naked could be helpful, I guess, in some cases. Vomiting. Some serious things. Cutting. People gamble to cope. Little tattoo therapy. Don't look at your neighbor. (laughs) Fighting. Looking directly at the sun. The sun stare. Ah. I don't feel nearly as stressed anymore. People are doing all kinds of things. Most of the time, when we go to God with anything, we want God to change the circumstance. And so we bring our problems, our pain, our sorrow, our suffering, all these things, and God cares about our sickness, and God cares about our sadness, the difficult people that we're having to deal with. But if there wasn't one thing that you could take with you, I want you to take this with you. God is way more interested in changing your mind than he is in changing your circumstance. God is way more interested in changing what's really going on than adjusting the circumstance. Because at the end of the day, whether or not your situation, your circumstance ever changes, if your mind doesn't change, you will never have peace and joy in spite of your circumstance. God wants to transform your thinking, the renewing of your mind. There's three biblical principles that come with this. My thoughts control my life. Your thoughts control your life. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts control your life. How many of you guys like chocolate chip cookies? Anybody like chocolate chip cookies? I have never known a chocolate chip cookie to just jump off of a plate and into your mouth and you just start eating it. I've never known that to happen. No, it, there's a process that happens. I smell something. I know that smell. Mm. Chocolate chip cookies. There they are. You little seductresses, you. Look at the chocolate. Sugary dough. I mean, I deserve, I deserve a, I deserve a cookie. I mean, I'm going to, I can have one. I'm going to ride my bike in three weeks. I'm pretty sure like... I'll burn it off walking around the mall, right? Just one. <laughs> There's a process in everything in our life like that, including immorality, adultery, and affairs. They start with a thought and then a look and then a word. 
and then the full act. But you're the one who allows the thought to start. You're the one that allows the thought to start. If you don't think it, you won't do it. If you're not thinking about it, you're not going to do it. That includes good things too. If you're not thinking the good things, you're not going to do the good things. How many golfers? Any golfers? None of y'all should raise your hand. None of y'all are golfers. You're all terrible. But raise your hand if you play golf. Okay. I try to play golf. I'm a hacker, though. I'm horrible. But this is what I do know. What I just said has a lot to do with the reason why I'm so bad. Because so much of the game of golf starts with your thinking first. So most of the guys are professional golfers. They have been doing it so much, so often, they just have muscle memory. So when they stand over a tee, they've actually done this. They've, they've measured the brain activity of a professional golfer. Before they step up to the tee, their brain activity is relatively high because they're thinking about the type of shot that they need to hit in order to land it where they want to hit it, the type of club that they want to use. But as soon as they step over the tee, guess what? Their brain activity goes almost completely away. And then they swing and hit it where they want to hit it. Why? Because they've developed the confidence over time that they don't need to be thinking so much about when they stand. When I stand over the tee, I see out of bounds, water hazard. But the problem is I haven't played enough golf to know which way the ball is going to go. I have no confidence whatsoever to know I'm thinking about everywhere I don't want to hit it. But I have no confidence that I can actually hit it where I want to hit it. When you have no confidence about where you are going, you are going to focus on everything else. And you don't want to aim at it. But guess what? You're going to aim at it. You're going to hit it. Because until you're confident about where you're going... There's going to be plenty of other places that you'll wind up. But if you can think about the good that God has for you, guess what? You can land there. You can be in that place. Another translation of the same verse, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Underline that word shaped. Shaped. A lot of people say, I'm just thinking it, nothing else. But your thoughts are still going to shape you. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, God destroyed the world with a flood. Why? Well, if you go back and read it, it says because they were thinking evil thoughts. The world was consumed with evil thoughts, and the world, because of evil thoughts, was creating a world of evil. We're always interested in our feelings, aren't we? We're interested in our feelings, but feelings don't shape your life. Your thinking does. Your beliefs shape your life. Just because it's false doesn't mean you won't think it's true. And just because it's true doesn't mean you won't think it's false. There's an actress, fairly well-known, well her name is Deborah, and when she first got her start in acting in Hollywood, she gave an interview, she talked about how when she first showed up there, she had a tremendous amount of confidence. She was just 
She felt really good about her career and everything was going on. She was getting opportunities. And when she went to go star in, in, in one of her very first movies, and she went through the trial process, everything, and, and she's been selected for this major role within this movie. But when the movie began and they were shooting scenes, one day the director just said, stop, 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 stop. And he looks at her and says, your nose is ruining my movie. Your nose is just, it's too big. Your nose is ruining my movie. And she talks about how she ran to her trailer and just sobbed. And it took her forever to get her confidence back. Did her nose grow? No. But her thinking decreased. And this happens in our life all the time. Where somebody will say something that's completely false. But we believe it. And in your life, maybe somebody told you that you were stupid. More than likely, you weren't stupid. But because you're fixated on the idea that you're stupid, guess what? Now you're stupid. But you're not. But you're not. That isn't what God has for you. Satan attacks the human mind because it's the most special part of the body. The mind can hold 1.3 trillion pieces of data that we know of, unless you're Cajun. It's a little bit different in that case, but for the most part, most of us, 1.3 trillion pieces. Pastor Rick said it, not me. He's Cajun. I've just taken his word for it. Why does God, why does the enemy attack there? Because he knows he can direct our life there, which is the next biblical principle. The mind is a battleground for sin. The mind is a battleground for sin. It's where I win or lose the battle is right in in my mind. All temptation happens in the mind. A lot of times we think that temptation is just kind of out there, like temptation is coming against us from outside. Like, oh, that thing, that's out there, and that's tempting me. And all devil's just so busy all the time, bringing all these temptations against me. But in reality, it wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't already a desire inside of you. There's already a desire for it there. That's the only reason why it's a temptation. And you allow that desire. Romans 7.22 says this, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. Do you know why I love the Bible so much? Because every other book out there you read, but the Bible reads you. That's why I like the Bible so much, because this describes me. Look at who I really am in the center of who I am. Man, I want to I obey God, God's law. I want to do what God wants me to do. But there's this other law that's waging war against that. That's why he's saying there's a battle with the way that you think because whatever gets your attention gets you. Another principle, our thoughts can be reset by the Spirit of God. And this is where it gets encouraging. Romans 8, 5. 
Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Someone once told me, man, my thoughts are just uncontrollable. No. You think they're uncontrollable, but in reality, you're the only one that can control them. Look, the devil can't control your thoughts. He can try to influence your thoughts. He can introduce thoughts, but he can't control them. God can control your thoughts, but he's not going to. You are the gatekeeper of your thoughts. You're the one. We're the ones that get to choose what happens in our minds with our thoughts. How do we renew your thoughts? First of all, you've got to feed your mind truth. You've got to feed your mind truth. This is what I would call submitting my mind to God, submitting to his word, because everyone is going to submit to something. This is what it says in Psalm 1.1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are trees. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. What this verse is saying is that when you meditate on the word of God in the morning, in the, in the evening, in the afternoon, throughout the day, you begin to grow roots next to what is truth. And it will produce life in you and through you. When you meditate on God, and what you, when you meditate on what is ultimate, irrefutable truth in your life, you will grow roots in that truth. And no matter what, you will produce fruit that brings life. All of us understand the importance of nutrition. And a lot of us, we would say maybe we don't, but we're just lying to ourselves because we know that there is importance in what we put in our bodies. We understand that there are good calories and bad calories. And when we put good food and good calories into our body, our body can use those to create good energy that makes us healthy, that makes us strong and all those things. We also know that when we put bad food and bad calories into our body, it will determine the healthiness, the strength of our physical bodies. We understand those things. It's the exact same thing when it comes to your mind. If you will put good, life-giving things into your mind, it will create a spiritually strong soul. If you put poison into your mind, you will have a soul that is weak and feeble and sick. It's the same principle. When you're feeling overwhelmed in your mind, it's a thought process problem first. The recent study shows that 90% of the things that we worry about never even happen. But some of us think that somehow it's like good management to worry about everything. Well, if I just worry about it and I think of the worst case scenario, that way if it happens, no matter how bad it is, I've already prepared myself with it. Like somehow that's a great way to manage all your worry and all your fear and all your doubt. Good luck with that. You're not going to sleep very much. And you're not going to be a very fun person to be around. 
Because that's not the way that God wants for you to live. But the Bible tells us how to think. In Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Whoo! John 8, 32 says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Deuteronomy 6, 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's talking about four different times during the day that you have the most amount of freedom to meditate and put the word in you. When you're lying down at night, when you're getting up in the morning, when you're chillaxing at your hizzle, when you're relaxing at your home, and when you're traveling. The interesting thing is, these are the times that I find in most people's lives when they lose the most confidence and are the most vulnerable to sin. Think about it. When you're getting up in the morning and you think about everything you got to do that day. Just picking up all the thoughts that you had right before you went to bed of everything that you didn't get done the day before. And then when your time is idle and you're not busy and you're thinking, but you feel vulnerable and you feel insecure. Or when you're traveling. I know plenty of people that have found themselves in a world of hurt because when they were traveling, their minds drifted. Their minds allowed them to go to a place where they were vulnerable. And they were open to sin. Another thing, you have to take your thoughts captive. Because you can be a prisoner to your own thoughts. And some of you, you're a prisoner to the things the people have told you, even though they're not true. Martin Luther King said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from pooping in your hair. It's one of the deepest things I think he said. But you have to move. You have to move. If you're just going to sit there, eventually, hair poop. Some of us just allow the birds of the lies of our past just to circle around us all day long, but we never move from that place. Some thoughts, they're just rooted in your sin nature. We're all broken. We all were born into a broken world, and so some of those are the thoughts that have to be taken captive. Sometimes the enemy just throws a thought out there and sees if it'll stick. But either way, we take them captive. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The word stronghold in the Greek is the Greek word akumar. It means 
to be safely locked in a prison of lies. This verse is saying that we can take captive our thoughts. So let's take a quick assessment of where our thoughts are at. Because most of us, we will have a tendency to fall into one of these areas. Because some of us are negative. Some of us are negative. Life's not going to get any better. God doesn't love me. Everyone's mean to me. My kids aren't treated fairly. I'm not understood. I have a gift of giving, but everyone else has a gift of taking. No one knows how hard I work. No one cares about what I'm going through. Now, it may not be necessarily one of those thoughts, but let's be honest. Just by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how many of you would admit that you have a tendency to be a little negative in your thoughts? Okay? Me too. Some are fearful. And because they're fearful, there's a dream that was never attempted. A career that they never pursued. A major that they never tried to approach. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my kids, my spouse? What if, what if I lose my friends? Just living in a constant place of fear. And, and fear towards irrational things. I'm sorry, but the fear of spiders is completely irrational to me. I just don't get it. Okay, you are like literally a million times the size of that spider. And yet a spider the size of a dime dictates the course of people's lives. It just doesn't make sense, people. I don't know that that's a silly example, but there are plenty of other examples that do the same thing and they're still just as irrational. But some of us live in a place of fear. How many would be honest that you live with some fears? The future, what could happen? Some of us are discontented. Man, I just wish I was married. If I was married, everything would be better. I wish I wasn't married. If I wasn't married, everything would be better. I wish my husband was more like that guy. I wish my husband was a better leader and provider. I wish my wife was not always nagging. Nag, 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 nag. I just saw a husband look at his wife. (laughs) Big mistake, buddy. Not going to be a happy Valentine's Day for you. Sorry. I wish we had kids. I wish we had more kids. I wish we had different kids. I wish you had a better job, a bigger house, nicer car, granite countertops, wood floors. And some people are going to think that if they just had a new city, a new job, a new group of friends, a new church, a new whatever, that somehow that's going to change No, you need a new you. You need a new thought, a new mind, a new soul. Some people are critical. You just live in a place where you're critical. Can you believe the way they look today? Like in our house, we don't gossip. 
Because we believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. So if we're going to sit around and talk about what somebody else did or what somebody else said or how someone else looked, we know at one point or another they're going to do the same thing to us. And we're just not going to go there. We're just not going to go there. We're not going to talk negatively about other people. I don't like those people. They're just stupid. Some of you are saying, I hate this sermon. Okay. <laughs> Some are like, man, I'm, just, I'm trying to listen to the sermon, but that music was just too loud. It's just too loud. I don't like that music. It's just too loud. <laughs> I hate listening to the sermon on video. Any thought that you don't take captive is going to take you captive. You're going to wind up being critical. The reality is this. You can always find something to be fearful, negative, or critical of. Even in this church. Even in this church. You can find something wrong here. But let me save you some time. Because I can tell you about a thousand things that are wrong here. But I can also tell you all day long of testimony after testimony after testimony of people's lives that have been saved, marriages restored, people healed in their bodies, people healed in their hearts, people healed in their minds, people set free from addiction. We can either focus on what God focuses on or we can focus on what the world focuses on. But we have authority over our minds to take them captive. Okay, so how do you take them captive? Well, first of all, you've got to replace them. You've got to replace them. I've given this analogy before, but it's, it's, it was a picture that God gave me one time when I was watching my kids play with Play-Doh. I know, deep, right? So they're playing with Play-Doh, and God says, James, how are they shaping the Play-Doh? Well, they're using their hands, and they're using tools. They're using other things. Can you shape Play-Doh using Play-Doh? No, you can't shape Play-Doh using Play-Doh. You just get more Play-Doh. Guess what? You can't shape your thoughts using thoughts. You try to shape your thoughts using thoughts, even if you try to get good thoughts, you're just going to get a whole lot more thoughts, and they're all going to get mixed in there together. You have to use something more firm and established than the thought itself if you want to shape your thoughts. And there is nothing more firm and established than the Word of God. Specifically, there is nothing more firm and established than the applied, spoken Word of God. So the next time you start slipping into a place where you're critical, fearful, worried, negative, whatever it is, it's time to stop allowing yourself to be submitted to a truth that is not eternal, that does not define you, and start speaking the truth that is eternal, that does define you, that defined you before you were ever born, before you were even Breathing air on this planet, the word of God talked about you and who you could be in him. The word of God can shape your thoughts. The last thing is this. I must find the will of God while being in the will of God. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Most of the time we miss the will of God for what is next because we're not in the will of God now. It is very difficult to get a clear picture of what the will of God is for next when we're not living in a place of his will now. This last year, 
especially coming towards the end of the year. This is a growing church. Uh, On average, now that we're in this building, we average almost 700 more people a weekend than we did the same weekends last year. But because of that, I can be overwhelmed at times. I, I, there's more to do. There's a bigger vision. There's more people. There's more responsibilities. It gets more and more difficult for me to take my day off on Mondays because it's so easy for me to be consumed and overwhelmed. At the end of this last year, I realized that I began to get really negative because I was letting my mind be consumed with everything that needed to be done. There's so much that I know the Lord wants us to do and that there is to be accomplished and, and I don't have unlimited time every day, every year. And so what hit me in even preparing the sermon is it's not, it's not where I am right now that's overwhelming me. It's my thoughts that's overwhelming me. It's not actually where I'm at. It's that I'm allowing my mind to be driv- driven by things that are just not from God. I've got to change my thinking before I change the structure of my life. Some of you think, man, I just need to change things up. I need to change the structure of my life. But why would you? You don't want to change the structure of life and then wrap it with things that aren't the word of God. You've got to get the word of God in you and allow his word and his will to form where you need to be. I want to build my life on him, on his word, on his truth for me. And I told my staff, look, I don't know if I'm going to do anything else well this year, but I know one thing I'm going to do well when I rise in the morning. When I travel down the road, when I'm in places of idleness, when I go to bed at night, I'm going to consume the truth of the word of God. I'm going to consume who I am in him. And if I'll do that, guess what? Everything else, it'll take care of itself. There is rest and peace in that, and that is something that I want every one of us to have. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You can't have the peace and joy that we're talking about. It, it's impossible for, for even your mind. It doesn't matter how strong-willed you are, how, how, think you, how good you think you are at controlling your life. There's a supernatural God who sent his son to die on the cross so that you could be whole, so that you could be complete. Until you surrender your life to him, your mind is going to race. You're gonna have all kinds of issues with being able to find his will, to find his plan and purpose. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you need to come back to him, you need to rededicate your life to him, I would love to give you a chance to receive him right now. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you to be bold enough. If that's you, just put your hand up right now all over this room. As soon as I see your hand, you put it down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus today. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? 
I need to give my life, my life to Jesus. I'm tired of my mind being controlled by everything else in the world. I want my mind to be submitted to Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thanks. Got it. I need to call on Jesus today. Make him my Lord and Savior. Rededicate my life to him. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, for every person that just raised their hand, I thank you that they can just be honest with you right there in their chair. God, as they confess that they need you, as they believe that you died on the cross for their sins, as they believe that you defeated sin and death by raising from the grave, as they confess you as their Lord, then you'll save them from their sin. I thank you, God, that right now you're giving them a new hope, a new life, a new mind, a new soul in you. And I thank you, God, that by your spirit and by your word and the fellowship of believers, they're gonna be able to walk out the process of allowing themselves to be whole in who they are in you. God, that's what all of us need this morning. I speak over every thought in this room, every emotion, every feeling, everything that would set itself against the knowledge of who your sons and daughters are in you. And we take them captive in the name of Jesus. We command them anything that is not true to your word and true to your plan and purpose to be bound up and broken in the name of Jesus. And everything that comes from your life, from your word, from your truth, that you spoke before the foundation of the earth, that those thoughts, that those feelings, that those emotions, that those things would be the prevalent things of our life. And that we would steward our freedom in that place. Not just so that we can be free, but so that others can find freedom too. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the power of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a hand and stand together.